I'm Evelyn Glennie, and you're listening to the Evelyn Glennie Podcast. Back in 2017, I had the amazing opportunity to give the world premiere of a percussion concerto called Ad Infinitum by the Brazilian-American composer Clarice Assad. Now, Clarice is one of those musicians and composers who is completely free of all categorization. In a way, she is her own category. Clarice is equally known as a stunning performer who weaves jazz, classical, pop world and folk, and you name it really, into a sensational sound journey of depth and emotion. And the combination of her voice and piano playing is as unique and natural as I've ever seen. Yet she continues to push her boundaries, often exploring unknown or unfamiliar territories, which in turn allows her audiences to experience fresh perspectives. However, perhaps her greatest performance has just begun because Clarice has become a new mum. Clarice, congratulations to you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. This is amazing. It was like listening to you saying, oh, God, is this happening? This is amazing. Thank you. You're very, very nice. <laughs> oh, oh, but how has, has mumhood changed? You change your oh. creativity. What has happened? Well, my daughter is going to be two months old tomorrow. So, oh. yes, things have changed drastically for the better. Yeah, it was the best thing to come out of this pandemic yeah. times we've li living in. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember many years ago working with the great recorder player, Michaela Petri, the Danish recorder player. And when she had her first child, she said, oh, gosh, I've got no time to practice anymore or much less time to practice. And, and she was one of those that would practice for many, many hours a day. But she said something amazing seems to be happening with my music. She said it seems to just bloom much more. And I'm kind of less interested in the technical intricacies. And somehow the pieces of music are telling a story. And it's, it, was, it was very interesting her describing this because there was sort of some sort of perspective, I suppose, in you know, the many hours that we spend dealing with the technical aspects of what we do, but actually having her first baby just seemed to, to put things in a much, I suppose, better perspective. I think so, yeah, that's, that's amazing. I haven't really played the piano for oh, so long now. Like I have not, which is scary because I have to go back to it today. I have to practice because I have a concert in you know, like a, a month and then I'm oh. like, oh my God, I don't know how to do this. But hopefully the same thing will happen to me as <laughs> happened yeah. to your friend. And I mean, have you not been playing the piano because the concerts have, you know, disappeared from the diary during COVID or, 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 or for another reason? It was because of that. If it yeah. wasn't for the virus and this whole situation, I would have, of course, kept on playing because I had concerts to perform and then you have to learn your music, you know how it is. Mm. But all the concerts were canceled. That was so scary when that started. And, um, and then I, little by little, I started moving away from the piano and more into new things. Like I became obsessed with learning new skills. You such know, as? Such as like, oh, video editing. You know, oh. because now I had to be online doing yes. things like, uh, you know what no, I mean? Like, what are you I'm, doing now? Like the podcast, like um, learning new skills, especially that have to do with being online mm. because we couldn't be in person. Mm. And how do you feel about that? I mean, how do you feel about your, I suppose, creative juices being fed through this virtual means? It's hard. I, it's very difficult for people who perform for audiences to mm. be used to that energy in the room. I mean, I know you know that because I know how you perform. I've seen it. <laughs> it's amazing. Like you create this energy in the room, and then you're when you're playing for a camera, even if there are people watching on the other end, it's not the same thing, right? Mm, so getting used to that is very difficult. It is difficult, isn't it, really? And, and I mean, I don't know about you, but I find that sometimes if you're giving uh, 
sessions where there's a group of people, I mean, it's so important to see them. You know, sometimes you can turn your video off or whatever and, and you just see a name. And it's it's so crucial to keep that visual aspect of seeing that there's a person, you know, at the at the end of, of uh, at the end of the line, as it were, so that we're, we're we are able to build the bridges, you know, more than allowing the computer to be or a laptop to be a, a wall or something. But but it's very different. And that skill of being in a recording studio and almost making love to a microphone, you know, through your music is quite different, as you say, than, than giving a live performance. But, but now we're all having to do that. That's right. We're all having to do that. And um, if you don't know how it works, then it can be overwhelming, right? And I think mm. I was at that place where I knew a little bit, but not enough to tackle it. I didn't know how long this was going to last. And I was like, like intuition was telling me, oh, this is going to be here for a while. Absolutely. So, it, it is interesting. And I think probably, you know, it will change what our music establishments offer as regards to uh, the courses they teach. And I think technology will be an absolutely essential part of a, a, a student's journey so that in a way it's like an extension of their limbs. I think all, all music students and, and art students in general will have to uh, really embrace technology. Oh yes, for sure. It's already, it, it already started before the pandemic and now it's just going to be clear that it has to happen in the college settings. Oh, it, what a crazy time. <laughs> it is a crazy day, but, but in a way, we've always got to imagine that there's a yin and yang to everything and there'll be lots of positives, you know, yes. I'm sure there'll be many positives that perhaps we were not quite aware of yet, but, uh, but I think there, there definitely, definitely will be, and some things will work well, some things will be less successful, but equally mm -hmm. there will still be unknowns uh, that we've yes. yet to, to discover. But yeah, just, this is like a transition phase, I think, to into something. Really it amazing. is. <laughs> it is. Absolutely, it is. But I mean, for you as a composer, has this past year been a creative time for you? Or have you felt that actually it's quite nice just to have a little bit of a, a, a break? No, because the composing actually, I got lucky in the sense that, um, well, you, you know me a little bit, you, you know me to have like this energy a little bit mm. too much and they're like I, I, I want to do so many things and then I had said yes to many things before this happened and at the same time I was supposed to do the longest tour of my life mm. the same year and that is the thing that got cancelled so I could actually devote my time for writing and it was the first time I had so much time to write music so it was amazing, and I cannot, I, mean, I cannot complain about anything, and I would never. It's, it's been good for me, um, creatively, to have this time, you know? Mm. And I suspect that the whole world of being a composer has maybe been less affected uh, you know, rather than being a live performer and so on, because, you know, so much of your time is spent underground as it were you know you're beavering away and and uh, you, you know and then only once the piece emerges does the composer emerge and then and then comes in contact with the performers of course but um in a way an awful lot of time is spent by yourself anyway mm -hmm. that's true that's true and it's just been the most one of the most creative times in my life i think having the time you know not rushing and trying to do everything. It's like, okay, sit down and breathe and just be in a moment and see what happens. And I know a lot of people had a hard time with that because they felt like um, they were worrying too much. Mm. A lot of my colleagues, they were like, I, I'm not going to write. Some people even wrote essays about I'm not writing music during this time. Like, okay. And I, I didn't say anything. I was just like, I'm just going to, I'm going to follow my heart. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I had, yeah. That's true. And I mean, do you think that your composing will 
change a little bit? I mean, if you're composing something for a larger orchestra and because of the, the social distancing and so on that uh, orchestras have to adhere to at this point in time, I mean, are you finding that actually, you know, your direction as regards to the combinations or types of instruments because of the, the regulations currently in place, is, is that having an impact on what you're writing? Absolutely, yes. Uh, well, first of all, because a lot of music that I had already written in the past, which had never gotten so played before, started receiving a lot of uh, performances this past year because they didn't have wins. Mm. I, I wrote so much for strings, arrangements and uh, compositions for 10 years straight. Strings, 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 and that's what people were looking for, so it was amazing to get so many of my arrangements and my compositions played at that time. And also I received some commissions for smaller groups of people, like duos, you know, to avoid a lot of air contamination if that was the case, you know, especially for wind and brass. And I would never have thought about writing duets like that before. <laughs> Interesting, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you, you talk about arranging and composing. I mean, there are two very different skills, actually. I mean, a, a great arranger is incredible. I mean, incredible. And, and you know, do you find that you lean towards one or the other? Do you think the arranging helps your compositions and vice versa? Yes. Well, it has in the past because when I've arranged titles like uh, An American in Paris, I had to do a re reduction of it, which, oh my God, crazy. <laughs> I did Dance of the Seven Vills too, which is huge reduction. And other huge works that you have to sit with it mm. and learn note by note because I, at that time, I was actually copying the scores. Can you imagine? Gosh, yes. And then you get to know the music and what the composer did at a whole different level. I think that's how you really learn mm. arranging and then actually you can take that orchestration into your own composition because you're just like understanding, oh, that's how Strauss did it. That's how Gershon did it. And this works, so let me just learn by these masters. And it's different than just looking at the score. Yes. When you sit with it and you copy the notes, you know? Mm. You embody it in a very organic way. So I would say it definitely helps, mm. especially orchestration. Yeah, and I mean, you know, improvisation is so crucial to what you do. You're a great improviser. And and you feel that that's an important element in your creativity towards being a composer and an arranger. So you can look at the notes, you can embody those notes, but actually you could create another composition from those great compositions. Yes, and I think it's an important thing. I mean, as an improviser, you know that because you improvise so well. And I've seen it. <laughs> also. So, yeah, well, if you're working with somebody who improvises as well, you can, you can know that there's very little information you, 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 you have to give them for them to run with an idea. Mm. And I really like that when I'm working with people who can improvise, who embrace that type of, of, of making music. It's just a different way of thinking about it, right? You, ha mm. you have more freedom to, to bring your own personality and instead of having to play exactly what's written on the page. Mm. Yeah. And, I, and I think also what I find is that you can in a way, make contact with the piece again and again and again and again, and it's like a different composition each time. So it's as though you're, you're seeing it for the first time. It's every piece of music, whenever, however you play it, it's like a world premiere in a way. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's true because the circumstances are always different. You know, whether there's a, an improvisational element in there or whether it's a different audience, a different hall, just just a different day, you know. It makes mm -hmm. those pieces, a bit of Bach or Beethoven or Tchaikovsky, whatever it is, still world premieres. Someone somewhere is going to be experiencing it for the first time. That's so true. And then if you have that for the performer, I think it's nice too. You know, that's why also some performers like to write their own cadenzas in a way. It's a, a way of bringing novelty into something that is static and cannot change. 
Mm, yep. And just to go back a little bit, Clarice, if I may, that, um, you know, you've come from a very, very musical family and you were born in Brazil and uh, which, of course, is just such a fantastic place. And, and I mean, heavens, it's so, I remember taking part in the, the carnivals, the samba carnival in Rio back in 1989. And I think that trip changed my life. You know, I was able to experience something that I know I, I wouldn't be able to experience again. It, it was just such a life-changing moment. And just seeing how important music is to people's lives there, it, it, it almost redefined the word music in a way. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's something that I couldn't really touch because it was so ingrained in society. It was ingrained in in the, the everyday living that people experience there. And it was so incredibly interesting. And I think all of my senses were just opened up in a way that I had never experienced up to that point. And uh, it was it was extraordinary. And I still I still remember everything about that trip, exactly what I smelt, what I felt, what I what I ate, what I wore what I played, who I met, I mean, everything on that trip, I remember as though it was, it was well, as though it's just happening now, I, I really did. But, you know, from your point of view, having such a, a, a rich kind of landscape and having that musical environment growing up, I mean, were you aware that this was something quite unique to you or was it just completely natural to you? Did Were you aware that you had real talent as a very, very young, young girl. Uh, well, look, I think that, uh, first of all, that's so nice that you went to Brazil. That's wonderful. <laughs> At that time, 1989, oh my God, it was a great time to be there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my, my, you know, my father is a classical guitarist and composer, and uh, he has a duo with his brother. It's called the Assad Brothers. Mm. Um, I grew up listening to them perform because they were obsessed with becoming the best duo of guitars in the world. Wow. <laughs> Which they, they did. Like, they really did. Wrongly. They really wanted, they had like a mission, you know? Mm. And they practiced all, every day. When I was a child, um, I remember hearing music constantly. If, if it wasn't coming out of a record, it was coming out of my father's guitar. Oh, and then <laughs> I think for sure that really was an open, of course, I must have like a natural um, interest, right? Mm. Maybe something that not everybody has, but I had interest and I really listened. And I remember playing games with him. So music, music was never pushed on me. He used to play guitar and go to these really weird places harmonically and I would follow. So that's when you know, like, oh wow, she has, she's paying attention. She can follow. Like if I go to a completely foreign key, I would, I would immediately realize and go with him. Mm. So that's how it started. So there's an attachment, emotional attachment to that too, you know. Absolutely, and and I mean the the fact that you know you mentioned that it it wasn't so much through recorded music that uh, that you were digesting, but the real instrument, the raw hand on that mm. instrument. And there's a different kind of vibration there. You know, it's a different sort of listening. You're, you're seeing mm. the players play. You're almost tasting the music. Oh, yes. And then the repetition, because they would like so many repetitions of the same passage, like 30 times. Mm. I don't know how many times, but I just listening by, that's how we learn, right? Repetition, repetition. It's amazing to me. And then my father had to leave. He had to go pursue his career outside of Brazil because Brazil, even though it's an amazing country for music, it's not an amazing country for artists. Mm. It doesn't give a lot of, um, even back then, that was like yeah. early 80s, they had to go to Europe at the time to pursue a career and then that was a big break for me, mm. you know, from so, away from music. Absolutely. And, and I mean, in a way, when you mentioned about the your father, you know, performing and, and experimenting with weird and wonderful harmonies and, and you, you know, picked up on that. And, and was this part of 
him improvising or or was this actually you know notated already or was he of this free mind to just sort of go off and see what could be experimented with totally free because he also learned music from his father who mm. who was a shoto player i don't know if you know shoto music but it's something you learn by ear it's like passed down by generations pretty much. He didn't know really what the chords, the notes were, he never learned how to read music, my grandfather. Mm. But he knew how to speak that language. Interesting. Fluently. Yeah. And then my father learned both ways. He he could do it by ear, he could do reading and writing. He he was more complete in that sense as a musician, could do it professionally. But then I learned from my father the same kind of listen to this, assimilate it like you would a language. And then mm. later in your life, if you want to, then you can learn how to write it down. So it was all improvised. Yeah. It's incredible. You, you remind me a lot of um, the wonderful Jacob Collier, um, <laughs> who is extraordinarily talented, but you know, yes. he's like a sponge. And, and I see a lot of similarities between the two of you and how you use your voice, the kind of playing and how you perform and so on. And um, and I suppose using those listening skills whereby, you know, it isn't so much about I like this, I don't like that. It's about, ooh, you know, what is this about? The curiosity and, and oh, well, well, you know, let's just sort of peel another layer, you know, and see mm -hmm. what, what's there. And, and I find that really fascinating. Yeah, it is fascinating. I'm thinking now, you know, I, of course, my daughter is only two months old, per se, but I'm already thinking... Is it, am I going to do that? And is she going to be like that, like absorbing, listening? Or is it going to be her thing? And if, if it was me, like the parent, like seeing these things happen, I would be fascinated. I would be just like pushing it to see how far the child would go. So he did that. I was an experiment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My goodness me. Well, to have such a performer like you as, as her mom will be amazing. <laughs> and she can feel those vibrations and, and, and hear it and, and from the raw hand as well. But of course, you, you are an extraordinary singer and pianist. Um, but it took a little while for you to think about the piano playing um, because of physicalities of, of playing the piano, the piano. Can you, can you just talk a little bit about that? Oh yeah, it's horrible. It's like, um, I have a problem with it. I have a personal, like, almost like, um, oh, I wish, you know, I wish I had been so, um, good. F I don't know. It was a apt, like my body was, ready for this, but it was never like that. I, I was born with um, a condition called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and mm -hmm. it's something that affects your joints. And I have a very mild EDS condition, but when I was a child, my joints, like, they were not strong. So I couldn't play anything because my fingers would literally just, like, sink into, like, no strength at all. Mm. So that's, that can be a little traumatizing when you have a lot of music in your mind, and I did, and I couldn't get it out. Mm. I couldn't because the piano was like a little bit of a, this massive big thing, that the only thing I could play, and yet I couldn't really play it well. Mm. <laughs> yeah, very frustrating, yeah. Um, I had to work really hard to get uh, to the point where I could play the piano without having you know, to think too much about it but the voice was always very free. Mm. So that's why I have a much healthier relationship with the voice. Like I feel like this is my instrument, I own it. At the piano, I, I always have a little bit of like, can I go, can I really play these passages correctly? So that's why I, I never went into like classical piano because you would have to play all the pitches correctly, exactly how it is written on the page. But what if my finger slipped? which is possible. And then mm. jazz was a much more like free. Now, if it slips, it's fine because I can make some other kind of music <laughs> with that. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I, it, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, please go on. Please go on. No, but that's it. It's, it's like a, a lot more freedom. It was like, it's creativity rather than like I made a mistake. And then classical music would be like, oh, you made a mistake. That's not note that was supposed to be pressed. Ah. Mm. Uh, Anyway, sorry. <laughs> uh, it, it's interesting because it, it, in a way, it, it's what you've just said there is really, really important as well. Because, you know, something that could 
be seen as a as a barrier as as uh, where you could have easily said well you know that's just too hard that's that's just too much hard work or whatever it is you might have given up but actually you know the thing about music is that there's always another route there's always another path to explore and your piano playing is so unique and it's so extraordinary and when you combine the voice I mean I I would slightly disagree with you because I feel as though you own the piano as well as the voice so you you know there there you have it It, it's just um, a a wonderful example and and I think very inspiring whereby you know we, we know that there's always another route provided it comes from yourself you know in inside of yourself to try and make this work mm-hmm. thank you Clarice for for chatting about that with with the piano playing and and uh, the the challenges there in in uh, playing and I, I think that will be really interesting for people uh, to digest I'll, I'll just move on for the time being and uh, with such a, a rich musical heritage growing up in Brazil, you then decided to go to the U.S. to study composition. What led to that decision? Um, you know, my father promised <laughs> that after years of not being close and living together, because he left, I was around like uh, eight years old, and then I didn't see him for much of that time after that. Yeah, because it was so hard to travel, and uh, during that time, money, you know, the plane, airfares was very expensive, so we didn't see each other very much, and Mm. he made a promise, like, you know, once you finish high school and everything, you come live with me, and then we can resume our musical connection. It was a beautiful thing, a beautiful promise, and I, you know, made him keep his word, (laughs) 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 and he did. And what happens is like life also happens. You know, he, he used to live in Europe. I was supposed to go move with him uh, to France or wherever he would be living at the time. But he met his wife, Angela, at around that time when I was finishing everything. She is the connection with Chicago and the U.S. Mm. Yeah, it was like love that made Oh, how lovely. Move. I know, yeah. it's beautiful. And they are still together. It's a beautiful story. She's amazing. And they are great. They gave me this opportunity, you know, both of them, to come to the U.S. and study. Mm. And that was with Michael Doherty, the composer. Yes, eventually, yeah. It took so many years until I got to him. But um, ah, okay. yeah, yeah. Because I went to different colleges before. But you're right. I studied uh, finally composition with him at uh, the University of Michigan, where I got my mm. master's. Mm. Extraordinary man, who's also written two percussion concertos, by the way. <laughs> I know, and then I, oh, I love the, the cover of one of them. It's like really fun. <laughs> <laughs> but then, um, you know, what I've noticed is that the diversity of your work, and certainly the, the studies that you did back then, I mean, you involved yourself with film scoring, obviously piano playing, improvisation, arranging, performing, and so on. And, you know, having so many things to do, I mean, very often you have to specialize in one or or the other of those things. But did you have any clear ideas regards to what you wanted to do as a musician? Did you see yourself being a composer or an arranger or a performer? Or was it just, well, you know what, I want to be all of these things? Yeah, I think well, that's such an incredible question. Nobody asked me that before. <laughs> but it's a good question. Um, I never had a plan, ever. I never mm. had a clear goal. I just wanted to make music. Like, that was my end goal. Like, if I can make music, and I remember writing the application for college, you know, like, trying to answer these very basic questions. What do you want? What is your end goal? I'm like, I want to make music. and. I want to be respected in, in this field because to me as a as a young, you know, woman musician in a sea of men, mm. that was an important thing to me at that young age, like eighteen, to be thinking about these things. I think yeah, that's interesting to me to look back and like, 
that was the thing that I marked. Like, I want to be respected in the field. <laughs> Not like, I want to make money or <laughs> do mm. this thing. No, I wanted that, you know, to, to have a community of, 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 of people who can support each other and, mm. and move this music forward, right? Absolutely. And it, it, it's interesting because in a way, you know, the world of composing is on the whole male dominated. Um, obviously being a performer, well that, you know, you, you, you get all sorts of people uh, as, as performers. So it's not either one or the other so much in that aspect. Um, but did you feel that there, there was a bit of a struggle being a, a female musician? Was there a, an aspect of the, the uh, music industry that was more of a challenge? Well, to me, um, maybe because I didn't have clear goals and I was a, like a sponge, really. I wanted to ultimately make music. The only time that I remember having a, a situation which was not good, really difficult, um, was when I made a demo. I was uh -huh. maybe 20 years old and I don't know who took that demo to this recording guy. And for some reason, the recording guy, the, don't know who that. I don't remember who who it was, but I remember what it was said about my demo, and that really was really hard for me to hear at the time. <laughs> it's like, it said, "Oh, you know, go who will marry a rich man, something oh. like that, along those lines." <laughs> right, like, check, oh. check. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like no music, not so much. I don't know why that was uh, even brought up, but that made me actually that fueled me, gave me energy to do like. Oh, no way. This is not going to happen. I'm going to marry whoever I want. <laughs> I'm going to make music. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll be the best version of myself I can possibly. So it was actually, uh, in the end, it was like a good thing to hear, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's sometimes those moments, you know, that can be quite key um, in, in our lives, you know. And it, it, you wonder sometimes, well, if that hadn't happened, you know, where might the path have gone? And I'm not saying it would have been completely different at all, but, you know, there's there's those moments when little comments that, that fuel us in, in, yeah. uh, in, in lots of different ways. But then, of course, you, I think it was back in 2004, you wrote a violin concerto for uh, Nadia Salerno Sonnenberg, who's just absolutely stunning. So was this your first ever concerto yes Ooh. oh that was wow. amazing <laughs> oh i was so nervous and it was premiered by marin uh -huh. before marin marin also before marin was so famous i mean she was like well her way of becoming you know very well known and it was like she had this little like thing now it's big to the Cabrillo Festival. <laughs> mm. Everything was very like smaller in scale, but still for me, that was the most incredible, one of the most incredible experiences I've had, ever had. Wow. Mm. Yeah, and but you know, Nadja, she worked with my father and my uncle. Ah, interesting. With the duo. And I met her through family, I would say, right? Mm. And I remember I was the driver of one of their tours. <laughs> and we all got together after a concert, which was amazing. And I was telling them, I'm going to Michigan to get my master's. And she said, oh, I love the university. It's great. Write me a piece. Oh. And I was like, were you serious about that? <laughs> wow. Wow. And I don't know who she was, but she was like, sure, sure. If I like it, I'll play it. You know, very like, no, no. Like, <laughs> if I like it, I'll play it. So I started like interviewing her, like, what do you like to play? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so did you work closely with her on the piece? Oh, yes, like everything. And then if you go back and listen, I can remember the words that she said. I, I like this. I stay away from that. Like, I hate um, pizzicato. It's not so much. Things <laughs> like that, like interesting, you know. Mm. But it, it, it taught me how to work with performers very, very well, you know. Mm. It was an interesting thing. She said, you know. It's good that you came to me for advice, you know, because you're writing for me to, to play. And if I like the piece, if it's something that speaks to me personally, then I can go out there and really play it because I'll feel it. Absolutely. And that, that was an important thing for me to learn. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you and I worked on your 
percussion concerto ad infinitum, uh, which certainly for me was a fantastic experience. You know, I I, I was just so I was just so so happy when you know you were able to write this piece and and we did get a chance to collaborate together um, on it and of course it was performed and, and premiered at the Cabrillo Festival in in the U.S. in California and in your mind what were some of the challenges I suppose in writing for percussion because of course percussion is so prevalent in in the music of Brazil and in so much of what you do, but what about the challenges when you bring it to uh, the four in a soloistic way? Oh, well, with with you, I just, you know, you remember the, the score, it was like, do whatever mm -hmm. you want. I, I gave you very little information. <laughs> oh, you, you gave me quite a lot of information. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, you know, because I see some things, I, I see the way that I've written for percussion without, you know, it being for a particular person before, and everything is more specific. Like, mm. oh, this kind of melody on this kind of part of the drum. And when I wrote for you, it was like, this is sort of what I want, and I knew that you're gonna run with it. Mm -hmm. So may, I guess may, what I'm trying to say is like, I wanted your input and your mm. opinion because I know what you can do with minimal information. I didn't have to be like, oh, play right here in this part of the rhythm of the drum with the stick, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know and I'm glad, I'm glad in a way, because of course, I love that openness and, and that sense of freedom, mainly, well, partly, maybe, <laughs> well, how can I put this? It might be a bit selfish, perhaps, but I like the freedom of, of just tapping into, well, this is what I'm feeling today, and, and then off you go, and then tomorrow it could be something different. But also, as you say, sometimes it, it can be, you know, when you're dealing with, with someone else's instruments or hired equipment and things like that, and mm -hmm. if you don't have, have access to your own, you know, on a particular concert, it's those instruments speak quite differently. They really do. So what works on the edge of one drum may not necessarily be the best place for another drum, you know, and it, it could be for all sorts of reasons. So I think that sense of freedom is really important and it makes the performer absolutely, you know, be on their toes and, and not try to remember what worked the last time. This mm -hmm. is a new day this is a new a new opportunity really so i do like that sense of openness i mean there's the other thing too which is like we had the chance to to do it but it was a recording of it and you can listen to it and go back and later and decide oh this really worked this not so much maybe yeah. no and then i don't know make a second version of it or be more specific but it, the thing is that you can have two versions of it too anyway it was such a great experience for me. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I hope that we can collaborate on it again, you know, and I we know, can get yeah. get this this performed. And I do remember um, because I had to walk on to the stage uh, whilst the orchestra was doing something, or maybe I, I can't remember how exactly the piece began now. It's a few years ago, but I remember having two little swirly shakers and, <laughs> yes. and one was higher than the other. And I, I think I said, oh, this is female and that's male. And, I remember and that. you laughed and, and off I went on stage swirling my little male and female oh, shakers. And, and it, <laughs> it was so adorable because I was right literally before you start walking and then you just said, is this a boy or a girl? <laughs> oh, that was it. Yes, that's right. A boy or a girl. Now I remember. <laughs> I thought it was adorable. Yeah, it was very sweet. The whole thing was amazing. Oh, People were very sweet. taken by your performance that, that evening. It was amazing. It's something, something that um, works very well visually. Also, yeah, like, absolutely, yeah. and and that's that's what you you give us all for sure. You then wrote a concerto for yourself for scat singing piano and orchestra called Scattered, and you know, <laughs> did you ever imagine, and do you ever imagine other people playing this particular piece? Yes, I do. 
especially yeah. because yeah I do I mean everything is almost everything is written so the pitches the notes are there yes not how the syllables and they're not written down they could be but I, I believe that it can be done and more now because people are experimenting more with the voices than ever before there's mm. a lot more of that going on like people um, going away from the okay you have to sing in the musical theater style or I have to sing in the operatic style you know a lot of curiosity around the topic now with the younger people so in the future I can see that happening actually yeah absolutely and I mean I suppose I'm coming at it whereby because you're such a, a, an extraordinary performer and it's sometimes difficult to imagine another person especially if you've written the piece for yourself yeah that's true I mean but you know having to write for yourself means that you can also edit the part for yourself when mm -hmm when you like I've done I've done that with the, the solo part oh my god I, I wrote something it was too hard for me to, to play and sing at the same, the same time so I could change it so yeah you're right you have a point um, but I would also you know be happy to give anybody the freedom <laughs> to create whatever they like on top of that but it's 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 tricky piece definitely um, also, it has so many Brazilian-influenced rhythms, right? I mean, you have to have a lot of things in the cosmos to work in favor of whoever would be doing that in the future. Absolutely, absolutely right. Yes, and I think that's all part of, of um, the, the situation, really. Not by any means impossible, um, but it's hard to, I, su I suppose, detach the piece from you um, yes. in a way. Uh, I guess that's maybe what I'm what I'm saying there. However, no, you're I, right. I hope you do a lot more of it actually, because it, it was it was just an incredible experience to witness that. It really <laughs> is. But you then developed the idea, or that the, the 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 scat idea, the use of the voice, and and wrote synthetico, and that's a work for chamber ensemble and vocal electronics and do you see electronics as an extension to what you do as a performer to our instruments our voice and so on I think so yes because after I've, I've studied so many different techniques and I keep studying many techniques yeah. for the voice but there's a point where you reach your limit you know it's like oh I, I don't know if I can either like learn something else that I can't do like I want to learn vocal fry ah. but it's not made for my body I can't yeah. because I'm afraid I'm going to hurt my my voice and or I want to sing like opera singer I can't at this point in my life go and change because once you work these muscles you can never really go back to mm. what you're doing before there's so many things that you have to think about and with electronics yeah. you're like no, the sky is the limit <laughs> because the processing is done with what you have already given the machine. So, yep. yeah, there's a lot that happens like in your mouth already when you're using these these tools mm. that it wouldn't happen if you didn't know how to use your muscles in your mouth and your throat. And but it's an amazing extension. Yes. Yeah, and, and it's it absolutely, and it's it's. Um, you know, what you're saying really is so important because it's about listening to yourself. I mean, it, it is what can this machine do, the human body, you know, what, what can it produce, naturally produce? And then, of course, you practice something and so on. But it's knowing what that fine line is between, you know, thinking, well, actually, although I'd love to do that, my arms are simply not long enough or my hand is just not big enough or my whatever it is you know I don't have that range in my voice or you know and it's recognizing that and then really really trying to define your your stamp mark with what you do have yeah exactly it's fun too to learn new things I think right it is it is <laughs> absolutely it, it really really is for sure just going back to the, the um, compositional side again, but what do you think is the difference between, you know, starting a composition from scratch as opposed to being uh, an arranger or an orchestrator? 
um, you know, do you find it's easier looking at a blank page and thinking, right, you know, here's a little idea and off you go, or do you actually prefer to, um, you know, have that score in front of you and then the freedom to do what you would like to do? Uh, that's a great question. I think that, you know, when you start writing something from scratch, there is also this, like, butterfly in your stomach and voices that may come in and be, like, critical. Mm. It happens. It's part of the process. Like, oh, is this good enough? Is this where I want it to be? And then when you have something in front of you, it's already there. Like, that mm -hmm. first part has been taken care of and it's all like just nothing but fun I would say mm. it's like the playground <laughs> the work is more like getting to create something new that's like oh I have to do something incredible something I haven't done before that's how I, I approach it you know like I don't I try not to imitate myself in the future you know mm. conditions and works that I have I try to do something fresh Especially being from Brazil, a lot of people ask me, oh, can you do something from Brazil? I'm like, oh God, yes. I've been writing for so long. What else can I do from Brazil that is not going to be something <laughs> I already did? <laughs> yeah, interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. Are you hard on yourself? Oh Are my you, God. You're, you're a, a big... <laughs> I am. I know, but that's one of the things I have to work on, like, like spiritually speaking. That's one of my... I know that's what I have to work on, like acceptance and being more fluid with my judgment of the things that I do. It's, it's a process. And maybe being a mom might help that. I, yes. You know? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? But it, it is know. interesting. And then you started um, an ensemble, you formed an ensemble called Off the Cliff. I love, I love that title, <laughs> Off the Cliff. So how did this come about? The title or the, uh, the group? Well, um, the title oh. came about before, uh, before the group existed because I had, uh, Mike Marshall is a mandolinist, mm. friend of mine, and we had a concert to play, but we had no time to practice or to play together, really. And I remember that the concert went really well, even though we only had charts and no encounter and just like, let's just play by ear. But he said, no, it's like, let's just gonna jump off the cliff with Clarice. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> and he said like, um, something that stuck with me, like, wow, it's like really jumping off a cliff. It's trust. It's about that. It is, it is trust. It brought me such great adrenaline, that concert, because I did not know what was going to happen. And I wanted to recreate that, you know, like when you like something, like I want this again and again in my life. And then I got together with musicians who could do that. Mm. In, the, in the moment, just if I turned back and I like took them somewhere else, they would go with me. Yes. So that's why our group is called Off the Cliff. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I, I really love it. And is that an ensemble that you hope to uh, push a bit more once we come through the other end of, of this pandemic? I don't know now because, you know, there is Antonia, my little baby. And, you know, yeah. the boys too in my group, they all have kids now. Oh, yeah. We all had kids. It was like this time <laughs> before yeah, and after, right? So I don't know. Oh, um, so I don't live in New York anymore. So many things have changed, but um, the the essence of that group, you know, remains. I re really would love to take that back once we have. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah. in, a, in a way, what's so fascinating about you is that actually you can, in a way, be anywhere uh, because you're so flexible in who you can collaborate with, the kind of forces. Um, you know, you're not hostage particularly to one particular place. And, and I think that's fascinating, uh, sort of viewing your whole journey. I mean, it's been very global and the music that you, you embrace is completely global. And, and you know, it's what I said at the beginning is it, it's hard to define you as a musician. You are your own categorization. And, and I'm <laughs> very happy about that and long, long may it continue. And with that journey, of course, you know, you have received a huge amount of recognition and awards and achievements and so on. 
does that have an impact on your creativity? Do you feel that, you know, you it, it does it allow you to pause for a second and think, oh, well, well done, and or does it give you the feeling that, oh, well, I've done that, so you know, all credit and and I I'm I've reached a certain status, or do you find that it gives you the impetus to work even harder? Mm, well, I think. More and more, I'm like, um, I just want to do what I haven't done before. I mean, that's the thing that I always, I don't want to be doing the same thing. I will go and explore somewhere else that I haven't been because I, I think that there's room for growth <laughs> always, <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> I like that idea. Yeah. I love that. It's it's how otherwise there would be nothing to live for, you know, like just constant growth. And um, I love that I've received um, so many opportunities, you know, to 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 continue my work and and do better and better. And yeah, I just want to share this, especially with young people. Now I'm so excited about teaching and mm. all kinds of things. Yeah, always moving forward. Well, it's fantastic, and it's just been absolutely brilliant to just share this time with you. And, and I hope you, you realize how inspiring you are to all composers and all performers, really, because there's just so much of you that you give through your music, through your performances, that, that are, are just hugely infectious. And so just a massive thanks for me. And, and all I have to say is, um, would you write another percussion concerto, please? Yes! <laughs> Wait, bad singing and percussion concerto. What about that? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, actually. Oh, no, seriously. That would be extremely interesting. Right, Ooh. right. The seed has been planted, so we'll see what yeah. we can do. Well, thank you oh. so much for this. This is so wonderful. You know that um, when I got the invitation, I got like little small palpitations of happiness. Because oh. um, yeah, because I really, I really love your energy very, very much. I mean, as a person, not just uh, as a performer, which you already know. So thank you, Raoul. Thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> and we wish you and your lovely little baby all the very, very best. Thank you. <laughs> I'd like to say a very special thank you to Audio Network for supporting my podcast. Thank you so much for listening. See you in my next one.